Here lies the old me. The kid my parents wanted me to be. All the ways the world hurt me. Goodbye to my fears and anxieties. The reason why my ex left me. Rest, Rest in, in peace, peace to the old me. Well, hey, welcome everybody in the room. Welcome all the Ports Live locations. Greater Lafayette, Indianapolis, Des Moines, Cincinnati, Tulsa, North Houston. We are continuing this series, R.I.P. to the Old Me. Now, today is February 15th, which means yesterday was Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Let me let you in on my world on Valentine's. I've been married almost 10 years, and so what I'm about to tell you, I should have known better, but my wife and I had a baby a couple weeks ago, and when you do that, <laughs> thank you, yes. When that happens, uh, people generally set up a meal train, which just means people will drop off food or send to Uber Eats or do different things. And my wife last week said, hey, on Monday, Valentine's Day, a friend of ours and her husband were gonna drop off food. Should we tell them to cancel? It's Valentine's Day. Now, I thought she was being very considerate about this other couple who was married and how they shouldn't be spending Valentine's Day dropping off food to us. We can just Uber Eats. It'll be fine. And I said, no, tell them they don't need to bring food on Valentine's Day. The next day comes by. She's like, are you sure you want me to tell them, you know, it's Valentine's I'm like, yeah, it's Valentine's Day. Tell them not to bring food. Sunday comes and she says, so what are we doing tomorrow? And I say, well, you said a few days ago, you didn't want to do anything on Valentine's Day. Now, <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Man, this is really important. No matter how many times or in how many ways they tell you I don't want to do anything on Valentine's Day, they are sitting on a throne of lies. <laughs> because they don't mean that at all. And I said, well, I, I thought you said you didn't want to do anything. You were like, yeah, but you said cancel food. I assumed we were going to do something. And I immediately went into yeah, we're gonna do something for sure. And so I come up with a plan of what we're gonna do for Valentine's. We're gonna go find a patio, sit outside. It's gonna be great. Now, what does that have to do with tonight? And why do I bring that up? Because Valentine's Day, you know, is one of those days that can be a day of disappointment. For some people, it can be a day of excitement. For new couples in the room that just started dating, you're so thrilled that he showed up and he brought you some candies, or he brought you some chocolates. When you think Valentine's, you may think some of the things that we grew up thinking, like that stuffed teddy bear that somebody dropped off your junior year in high school, or flowers he had sent to work that he paid way too much to send flowers. is 10 times more than to buy them at the grocery store. But he sent them anyways, because that's what he is. Or maybe you think back to you know, elementary school when they would hand out the most disgusting chalk-like candy of all time. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe for you, it's, it really is at Galentine's, and you just think, man, I'm going to just go out with the girls, and I don't even want to, and I'm going to go home and replay episodes of The Bachelor. I don't know what it is, but there's a lot of different things associated with it. Sometimes it's disappointment. In fact, I'm going to give some of these. Who's single guys in the room right here? Any single guys? All right, bro, shoot your shot, man. You single? All right, man. Another single guy. I'm not giving away a card. That's just a pathetic. All right, chocolates. These look like gourmet chocolates. All right. All you guys need to stand up right now and pick a girl. And, no, I'm just trying to get. By the end. <laughs> what if we did? Get the camera. By the end of the night, 
You need to give those to somebody else. Don't eat those chocolates. They're not for you or the chocolate candy. But on Valentine's, whether you had a great day or you had a disappointing day, one thing that all of us share in common is this desire for love, this desire to have a relationship, this desire to have a connection with someone of the opposite sex that hopefully someday maybe leads us into marriage. And the disappointment maybe you felt or some people do feel on Valentine's Day is one thing, but to have a love life that ends in disappointment is an entirely other thing. And one of the more important decisions you're going to make in this stage of life is deciding who you're going to date and then eventually, for most of you, who you're going to marry. And we're talking in this series about RIP to the old me, rest in peace to the old me. What does that mean? Well, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that when you put your faith in Jesus, what he did on the cross, dying for your sin, rising from the grave, that moment you came to faith, you became a new person. And the old you is gone and a new life has begun and was born. And now as a Christian life, we live out that new life. So that's this whole series, walking through what it looks like to live out the new life and live out new ways. And one of the ways that we're gonna talk about tonight is related to dating. Specifically, tonight's topic is RIP to toxic dating. How to stop dating toxically. How to say RIP, rest in peace to toxic dating. And the chatter in the room only reflects the fact that a lot of us <laughs> have experienced some toxic dating. And what I know all of us have in common is that none of us wants to have a relationship that is dysfunctional, that's toxic, that ends in heartbreak. And the good news is God doesn't want that for you either. And in scripture, he lays out principles and teachings and instructions that we can learn from and apply as it relates to how we navigate the waters of dating, if you will. So tonight, I wanna talk about a couple ways that is to play itself out. How to stop dating toxically. And look at two observations from the life of one of the most famous men in the Old Testament. This was a man named Samson. And Samson, when you think of his name, <laughs> you guys are on another level tonight, man. <laughs> There's generally a couple words that come to mind, and one of them is another name, and it's the name of the most famous woman in his life, and her name was Delilah. Hey there, Delilah. And Delilah and his relationship, really Samson's life in general, gives us some key takeaways about how to avoid by looking at his life and seeing what not to do because he is an example of toxic love, if you will. And so we're gonna walk through some of his story and we're gonna be in the book of Judges, chapter 16. Now, the book of Judges, if you have a Bible, you can flip open there. If not, it'll be up on the screen. Let me give you a high-level overview of both Judges and Samson. The book of Judges is a time where Judges were the leaders of Israel. God would appoint a judge, and don't think, you know, Judge Judy, Gown, and Gavel, think the Avengers, if you will. Because each of these, you know, throughout it, you got Gideon, who's like Ant-Man, you got Deborah, who's Wonder Woman, and then you got our boy, Samson, who would be the Hulk. And Samson is born to a, a couple who had spent years and years and years unable to have children. And an angel shows up to the mother, or Samson's mother, and says, you are gonna have a baby boy. God has heard your prayer. Here's what you need to know about him. The angel's telling her. He will be set apart from birth. He will be distinct from all other people in the nation, and he will be set apart and be a Nazarite. In other words, he will be a part of this unique group that's taking a vow to God. And in his life, 
He is to not have any exposure or to drink any alcohol. He's not to have any exposure to anything dead or dead bodies. And he is to not ever cut his hair. And God is going to use him to deliver the nation of Israel. And his mom is ecstatic and overjoyed. And we're also told something else. He's going to have superhuman strength, unlike anybody else in the Old Testament, which is why I said the Hulk. But despite having this unbelievable strength, Samson had a weakness for the ladies. And it would be that weakness that would take this incredibly he-man and turn him into a picture of weakness. And in his story, we learn about the ways that toxic dating can take out an entire life, as we're going to see on his journey. Samson is a guy that has a story where we're going to pick up in his story is with his relationship with Delilah, but here's what you gotta know about Samson. He's already had 20 years by this point where he has not lived in accordance with who God says he was supposed to be. God had given him this incredible strength and he had squandered on himself. His first marriage had fallen apart. He dated a woman that was a Philistine, basically like the enemies of the nation of Israel at that time, and he said, you know what? I got a good idea. I'm gonna date one of our enemy's daughters. He marries her, and then he's not a good guy. He's kind of a jerk, picks a fight with the Philistines, and they pick a fight back, and they kill his wife and his father-in-law, burn him alive. And Samson just continues to pick fights with these people. At one point, because he's so sexually unrestrained, he goes and sleeps with a prostitute, and he's just a picture of a wreck. And so by the time we pick up the story with Delilah, the narrator or the author is writing us to show a story that makes you go, this is unbelievable. How could this happen? And it's because of the ways that he compromised and did not decide, I'm going to follow the ways of God. He decided, I'm going to follow the ways of me. I'm not going to pursue the desires of God's heart. I'm going to pursue the desires of my heart. And it led to destruction. So we're going to pick up in verse 4, and I'll walk through. Sometime later... He, that's Samson, fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. So he falls in love with a valley girl named Delilah, who was not among the people of God. That's what the valley of Sorek, basically another Philistine girl. So when God said, she is not who you are to be in love with or to date or to marry. The rulers of the Philistines went to her. Those, again, are the enemy of the people of God. The rulers come to her the enemy of Samson, and they said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him. So we may tie him up and subdue him, and each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels. So Samson, at this point in the story, in chapters past, he had, with a donkey bone jaw, or the bone of a donkey bone, the bone of a donkey bone, the bone of a donkey jaw had just killed a thousand Philistines. So these guys are getting tired and fed up of this one guy with supernatural power and supernatural strength, and they finally go to his girlfriend now at the time and say, we will give you 1,100 shekels each. There's five of them. What's that equivalent to today? Between 15 and $30 million. They basically say, we will give you enough money to retire for the rest of your life, to get the house, you will be good if you can find out how we can lure and trap Samson. So Delilah is a gold digger, probably the earliest example of a gold digger. And she says, then to Samson, after agreeing to do it, tell me the secret of your great strength. 
How can you be tied up and subdued? And Samson answers her. At this point, you gotta think, bro, what are you thinking? She just said, hey, you know, hypothetically, if someone's gonna try to kill you, um, but he's, he's in love, and what happens when you're in love? It doesn't matter you know, what they say. You make excuses, you justify it. He's doing what you do whenever you're in love. You allow the other person more rope than they really should have because you can't see clearly. You're in love. It's what love does. And Samson doesn't give her the right answer. He makes up a lie and he says, if anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I will become as weak as any other man. Now, why he made this up, we're not really told, but he basically makes up something and says, if anybody ties me up, uh, you know, I'll become as weak. So then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been tied. With men hidden in his room, he goes to sleep and while he's lying there on the bed, she ties him up. And, he, and then she said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he got out of bed and he snapped the bowstrings as if a string snaps when it comes close to a flame. We've all been there before, right? So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, you've made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. And so he answers it again, gives her another answer. Next night comes, he goes to bed because he's, sleeping and staying at her house, and he basically says, no, you actually gotta tie me up with new ropes. And so he goes to sleep, and she ties him up with new ropes, and then she comes in and says, Samson, the Philistines are here, and he jumps out of bed, and again, he breaks it and snaps it like it was nothing. And then she says again, man, you've made a fool of me. How can you do this? And he says, you know what it is? You gotta weave my hair. You gotta put my hair in a weave, and that, will make me as weak as any other man. And of course, he's lying to her again, and she does it. And you read the story, and you're like, this is the most, how at some point, Samson, did you not stop and go, wait a second, every time I go to bed, <laughs> you keep doing the thing that I said was the thing that would make me be able to be subdued. But when you think about it, it's not that far off from what some of us, if others were looking at our story, would say. Wait a second, you guys, he treated you so poorly and you're, you're dating again? Wait, 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 wait. After she cheated on you, you guys are back together? After all the different times that she lied and, and you, were, you had his phone and, and he was like texting that other girl and it wasn't like just, hey, you know, do you, are you done with that assignment yet? I mean, I, and as easy as it is to see with Samson, some of us, if people could look into our life, they would go, how did you find yourself there? And this is why love is such an important topic because it does something to the heart. You can fall in love with somebody that doesn't have character, that doesn't have your faith, that can lead you away from God. And that's exactly where Samson is. And he lies to her again and he wakes up, the weave doesn't work and he breaks free. And then she says this. She goes full-scale manipulation Mary right here. She says, how can you say I love you when you don't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she pr that's in the Bible, she prodded him <laughs> day after day until he was sick to death of it. So she, it becomes all that they talk about. 
uh, you know, so the sex wasn't working to get the secret out of him, so now she just nags, and every time he comes home, she's just weeping about, you still won't tell me the secret, and then when he goes off to work or he goes and comes back, she's still sitting there in sackcloth and ashes and just moping. And eventually, Samson, it says he goes, oh, this is driving me insane. I'll just tell you already. And so he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. I was born a special child, and God had a special purpose and plan for my life. I wonder if when he's saying this to this woman who's a woman he wasn't supposed to be in a relationship with, a woman that he's sexually immoral with, I wonder if any of it's flashing through his mind. Oh yeah, an angel showed up at my birth. Like God had a purpose and his hand on me from before I was even born. And I've used it and squandered it to pursue my pleasure, not my purpose. But he says, I've never had a haircut my entire life, and if my head were shaved, my strength would leave me. And I would be as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw, he had told her everything. She sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he's told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with silver in their hands after putting him to sleep on her lap. This girl is poison. She called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from sleep and thought, I'll go out as before, shake myself free. But he did not know the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him and they gouged out his eyes and they took him down to Gaza, just another city, bound him with bronze shackles and they set him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. We're gonna come back to that verse. I mean, this is a tragic story and it's meant to be a tragic story. You think about Samson in that moment, it would have to be the worst day of his life as he's bound up, as he realizes after living his whole life with unbelievable strength that the spirit of God was no longer rippling through his body. And he was as weak as any other man. And maybe one of the last sights that he saw was Delilah before they gouged his eyes out. And he passed out and he woke up shackled and realized it's not just dark in here, I can't see. My eyes are gone. And this man who had such incredible strength, that weakness would lead to his downfall. And I think God has you here tonight because he does not want the train wreck of the romantic life that Samson had and some of the things that he engaged in to be a part of your story and lead to a train wreck in your life. And there's two things that I really want to pull out and camp on because they just make up a simple component of what it looks like to stop dating toxically. And we see it, and it's easy to see from the outside that it can end, but the first thing I want to talk about is stop dating the wrong people. Stop dating the wrong people. Now, how do I know if they're the wrong person? Because nobody in here is like, you know what, I like dating the wrong person. Everyone's looking for Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. Well, one of the ways we see from the story 
is don't date toxic people. No matter how beautiful, no matter how amazing or how much relational or emotional equity you have, if they have toxic traits, you're gonna have a toxic relationship. And candidly, if you're attracted to someone with toxic traits, you've got some toxic traits you need to work on yourself. Inside of the story, we see Samson. I mean, look at some of the traits that he has. He's selfish. He's using her and sleeping with her. He's impulsive. And he's just rapping off, just, oh, you should do this, you should do this. He's, he's, honestly, he's dumb. He's so drunk in love that he can't see straight. He's angry. We're told earlier that because he basically picked a fight or he lost a riddle, Samson liked to play games, another negative quality. He played a riddle that he basically lost with the Philistines, and in a temper tantrum, he goes and kills 30 guys to pay for his bet. He eventually gets so angry that he catches these foxes and sets fire to this farmland of a Philistine person, and he just deals with an anger problem. And this is really important, girls, because there's something broken, candidly, and I want, I want, as gently as I can say that, that is attracted to the bad boy. And if you pursue a dating relationship or marry a bad boy, you are making a bad decision because they end up being someone whose character and that temper, that doesn't become fun at three in the morning when you got two kids crying. Whenever you're walking through financial challenges, which are just a part of life, or a spouse that is sick, somebody having a temper and an anger problem is not something that you want. And Samson's clearly got other issues. He's arrogant. I mean, he thinks nobody can stop me. Even if I tell her, there's nothing that she can do. I'm Samson. He's sexually immoral. He's sleeping at her house. Previous chapter, he slept with a prostitute. And candidly, he's got a fake faith. I mean, he was born and destined to be a leader and deliverer of Israel. This is equivalent of the guy who says he's a Christian, but doesn't act Christ-like. And let me say, and now I'm about to go to the girls, with the qualities of Delilah. There are a lot of guys in this room that say they're a Christian, and they do not act Christ-like. And you should not date them. And you should be cautious. And because they got a Bible and they go to the porch does not mean they're not a wolf. And if we find a wolf, we will expose them and we will do everything we can to make sure that everyone is in a safe environment because we care deeply about that. So if you are a wolf, you should know you are going to be exposed. And you will not be welcome, but we will care for you in other ways. But Samson's a guy who claims to be a Christian, but he doesn't act Christ-like. I mean, he's not even supposed to be dating this girl. He's not supposed to be picking fights. That's not how you resolve conflict. And then her, you get to her toxic traits, and in some ways, it's almost like they were made for each other. Because you think about what she was. She's controlling. She's manipulative. You said you love me. How dare you? I mean, she's using her body to manipulate, to control. She's a gold digger. She's selfish. She doesn't care about him. She cares about the money that she will get. She's sexually immoral. I mean, she's sleeping over at her house. He falls asleep on her nap. My guess is he didn't just fall asleep after, you know, having a cup of coffee. Something else, probably. She's dishonest, and she's not a woman of God. And by that, I mean she was not a part of the people of God. God had commanded, which brings us to another, how I know they're not the right person, she was not a part of the group of people. God said, hey, these are the only people that are eligible bachelor and bachelorettes for my people. Among the nation of Israel, you are to marry the people of God. Because if you marry foreign women, you're going to go after foreign gods. And I want you to worship the one true God and raise kids in a home where they worship the one true God. The same is true today. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, he has made abundantly clear in Scripture, you are only to date Christians. Did you know since 2010, four out of ten marriages have been between people of different religions? Many of them Christians, marrying someone who doesn't have a faith, or Mormon, or marrying somebody who's Buddhist, or marrying someone who's Islamic. And God over and over says, if you're following Jesus, you are not to marry anyone outside of those who love Jesus. Not claim to be a Christian, not were raised Catholic, not go to church sometimes, but they love Jesus. Let me give you the verse. Some of you guys, you need to write this down because this makes abundantly clear. Here is who's in bounds and who's not. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. They are free to marry anyone they wish, but only if they love the Lord. If they love the Lord, how do I know if they love the Lord? How do you know if they love anything, as we said before? How do you know if somebody loves the Cowboys? Well, they have season tickets, they're wearing the jersey, they know Dak's stats, they're constantly making sacrifices in order to know all that's going on, because why do they love it? How do you know if somebody loves shopping or loves clothes? Well, they're constantly budgeting for it, or maybe they're not budgeting for it, and that's a reflection of kind of their life in general. They're constantly, you know, in new, different outfits. They're willing to make sacrifices of their time, their money, themselves. You're around them and they talk about it. In the same way, how do you know if somebody loves the Lord? They're around you and they talk about it. They make sacrifices with their time. You call them to do something and they say, I can't. I've actually got this discipleship group. Or I've actually got this you know, ministry thing that I'm taking a part of. If that's not happening, you should probably double click. And Paul says, only if they love Jesus are they an eligible person to date. In 2 Corinthians 6, he says the same thing. In other words, do not be joined together with unbelievers. What, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? Let me give you three quick reasons. This is really important. Number one, if you marry someone who doesn't have your same faith, three things are gonna happen. Or at least a couple of these two things. Two of the three are for sure gonna happen. Either they are going to cap your intimacy with Jesus because they're not gonna be pulling you to be involved at church. They're not gonna be encouraging you to spend time in God's word. They don't believe in that. Or, it's gonna cap your intimacy with them. Why would I say that? The most intimate thing about you is what you believe about God, about Jesus, and the fact that you can't share that with the person you share a bed with and you make kids with, you don't think that's gonna be a barrier? Which brings me to one of the dangers for your children's sake. I mean, some of you guys were raised in homes where you were a part of families where they got married and she was Jewish and he was Baptist or whatever the scenario was, and it just created, you know what a lot of people experience? Experience with my friend Sam, who had parents that were Jewish and Baptist, and he was like, so basically I was confused because neither of them really believed. And that's what you're gonna communicate. How are you gonna make decisions on raising kids when you're gonna say, as a Christian, man, God's word is gonna inform us, but they don't believe God's word. And the third thing is not even from the Bible, it's from sociology, from the world. According to studies, it makes you three times more likely to divorce than marrying someone with the same faith. Let me say that again. Three times more likely to divorce. It was a study done in 2001 of 35,000 participants of mixed religion marriages and found three times more likely divorce is to take place from the American Religious Identification Survey. That's 75% of religious intermixed marriages in a divorce. And God, who loves you, and as much as you love him, and you care about him, and he's a work in progress, or she's a work in progress, she's smoking hot, would say, if he doesn't have your faith, you are living in direct disobedience if you're dating him, or if you're dating her. 
And candidly, you are watering down what following Jesus looks like to someone who doesn't understand it. Finally, what we also see, actually there was a study done, it was an experiment. It was done in the 1990s in India and it was an attempt to increase the breeding of Asiatic lions. Now, because most of us don't spend a lot of time studying Asiatic lions, there are two primary types of lions. Those are African lions, which is, you know, Mufasa, and then there's the Asiatic lions, and they have some subtle differences. What you may not know is Asiatic lions, that's in Asia, are highly endangered. And because there are only about 300 of them left, they attempted to take African lions and breed them with Asiatic lions, hoping this will make, you know, a hybrid that will increase the likelihood of the species surviving. Only something terrible happened. They took these two lions and they made a hybrid and it was catastrophic. About 70 lions were produced as offspring and they were so immune deficient for whatever reason, they could barely eat. The hind legs of the new hybrid lions weren't strong enough to hold up the lions. And so these 70 lions, they were described as just waiting to die. Some of them were so weak, they couldn't eat meat off the bone. They had to be fed meat without a bone. Here's, here's a picture of them. And they're basically, the last of them are dying off because they're so sick, unhealthy, broken. And what was a hope of, oh, this will be great and this will work out and it'll be okay, was anything but okay. And that's a picture of what happens often when our faith, when we marry and merge together with someone who doesn't share our faith, doesn't share our beliefs, doesn't lead to a flourishing, healthy life. It leads to dysfunction, brokenness, lack of life. And God loves you. He doesn't want that for you. So the first way we stop toxic dating is by saying no to the wrong people and saying yes to God's people. I wish I could go another 20 minutes about that point, but I don't have time. Number two, stop dating the wrong way. In this, we see toxic love. We see here's the relationship that they have together. They're sleeping together. They're playing married, where he's staying over at her house. They're using each other. They're lying to each other. They're compromising for each other. They're pulling each other away from God, and they're dating in isolation. Why do I say sex could be a bad thing? And let me just, God invented sex. We've talked so much about that. Why would God in 1 Corinthians 6, say, flee sexual morality. Don't do what Samson and Delilah did. Don't allow that to be a part of your relationship. Is it because he's against sex? No, he created it. But he knows, outside of the context of marriage, it brings scars and pain into your life and in my life. 1 Corinthians 6 says, flee sexual morality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. Whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you? You were bought with a price. You were not your own. Honor God with your bodies. God says you are so valuable, Christ would give his life for you. Don't give that away cheaply. Sex was not meant to be an appetizer. I mean, it was meant to be dessert, not an appetizer. And you know what happens if you make it an appetizer? The person you're with is gonna be less likely to stick around for the main course which is marriage, and you're so much more valuable than that. And you're, you're gonna bring into your life all kinds of pain and scars. Some of the deepest pains any of us carry, or I carry, are connected to sexual history, pornography. I was reading a book a, a couple years ago and it was about sharks and the mating patterns of sharks, which is pretty random. And it described how when a male shark, 
uh, mates with a female, it, it bites onto them. It's how they hold on and grip. And so you can tell the sexual history of a female shark based on the scars that they have on the outside. So much so that a female shark has twice the thickness of skin of a male shark. And it described how for sharks, its scars reflect sex. But that's not really just true with sharks. It's true for all of us. For many of us, the deepest scars we carry are connected to sex. Sexual pain or sexual abuse, something that happened. A friend who was sexually abused by a family member, it's a scar. A family that disintegrated after a dad's sexual sin came out, scar. A friend who got pregnant after casually hooking up with a guy and she got an abortion because I can't, I'm not gonna marry him. And every year on that anniversary, she weeps. Scar. A person who was, like me, exposed to pornography at 12 that led to 10 years of addiction to pornography. Scar. And God is so crazy about you. He would, live, or he would give his life for you. He's not opposed to sex. He's opposed to scars. And you experiencing the fullness and the gift that he intended sex to be in the context of marriage. A gift that Samson and Delilah never got to experience. Finally, dating in isolation, we're never told of anyone else being in their life. It's only Samson and Delilah. In fact, the whole story, Samson lives in isolation. If you're dating in isolation, you're gonna experience dating not God's way because you're dating in a way that God says you're really not supposed to live life. As Christians, we are to have other people speak into our life to help see those blind spots, to see the things that, candidly, when you read Samson's story, you see them all. And if somebody was to read your story, They'd see them all. But we can just be so blinded by the love and the emotional connection we feel with that person. And God says, you're to have people in your life that come alongside and encourage and ask hard questions and they pray for you and they challenge you and they support and care for you. Proverbs 18 verse one says, whoever isolates themselves seeks their own desires and they break out or they push back against all sound decision making. that you and I are to date with other people in our life, honoring each other and pursuing purity sexually, honoring the marriage bed and not living together and moving in together. And Samson and Delilah tragically give us a picture of what happens when we decide, I'm not gonna pursue God's way, I'm gonna pursue my way. Now I said at the end, Samson, his hair begins to grow again. And we're told that something else begins to happen soon. He's sitting in that dungeon and he's blind and he can't see, but he's about to turn to God and pray. And it's the only time, this is crazy, it's the only time we're told Samson ever prays, that he ever talks to God. Somehow the blindness physically led to sight spiritually for the first time. And sitting in that dungeon, his hair began to grow back. And they are having a party, and remember, he's under the arrest of the Philistines, and he's in that dungeon, and they're having this big kegger, basically. And there's 3,000 people around, and in the party, the Philistines are like, you know what would be awesome? Let's bring out Samson. You know Samson, that guy who, like, killed all those people? Like, our enemy, we captured him. Bring him out. Let's have him perform. And it says that they were in high spirits, verse 25. And they shouted, 
bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them. Verse 26, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women and the rulers of the Philistine were there and on the roof was 3,000 men and women watching Samson. And Samson prayed, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please God, give me strength just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistine for my two eyes. Then he reached towards the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right on one, his left on the other. He said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all of his might. And down came the temple and all the rulers and the people. Thus he killed more when he died than while he lived. Verse 31 says, he had led Israel for 20 years. Despite having chosen rebellion for years and years, his story wasn't done. And he turned to God, and God honored that reflection and that repentance even at the end. And he worked through him. My hope is that you don't spend 20 years like Samson and find yourself at 46 or 48 or 49 going, what did I do? I just spent the last two decades living how I wanted to, pursuing what I wanted to, and you decide what Samson didn't decide early in his life. Eventually, he got himself there. You decide, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to decide to follow the ways of the world. I'm going to follow the ways of God's word, and I'm going to actually date and pursue the type of person you invite and you tell me to look for. I'm not going to go from relationship to relationship and one night stands, and I'm also not going to buy the lie that God is done with you because he's not done with you. As damaged of goods as you feel like you are right now, because some of you do, and you hear a godly guy or a godly girl and you think there's no way a godly guy's ever gonna want me. You have bought a lie and the invitation to you is the invitation to anybody in this room. You've got to surrender and do what the Bible calls repentance. Relationally repent. God, I'm not gonna drive myself. I'm giving you the keys to my love life, my dating life, my married life. I'm going to trust you. I'm not gonna date in isolation. If I'm having sex right now, I'm gonna make the decision. I'm getting out of this relationship. It's going to be painful. It's going to be hard, but I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to take the steps to be the type of person that Samson wasn't. I'm going to be a godly spouse. I'm going to focus on finding a godly spouse and do so in a godly way and not end up after 20 years coming to the place where Samson, through all the pain and humiliation, did. And God loves you and wants you to experience that. And let me close. Valentine's, you know, I opened with it, and I'm landing the plane here. Valentine's is a really interesting holiday because it, it's a holiday that has been around for 1,400 years, 1,600 years, since the 400s. It was instituted in celebration or commemoration of Valentinius, a pastor or priest from the first century, St. Valentine's. He was a pastor that in 268 AD decided, I am going to willfully reject the law. What was the law? Well, the emperor was not a believer, not a Christian. His name was Claudius. And he instituted that men 
or marriage is now outlawed. Why would he do that? Because there was an exemption that if you were a man and you were married, you could be exempt from serving in the army, and he wanted to have an incredibly successful military, and so he said marriage is outlawed. Sex, encouraged. Orgies, encouraged. Prostitution, encouraged. Sleep with whoever you want, encouraged. But no marriage. Now this created a real problem for Christians this growing group who said, we are called to honor God. We, no matter what an emperor says, we're not called to sleep with and have sex with and do with. We want, but to honor God. And a pastor named Valentine said, I am going to marry Christians who want to get married. And so he did for years. And eventually he was caught, taken before Rome, and executed, beheaded. And to this day, and that was on February 14th, 2069, to this day we celebrate that. Now what does that have to do with you and this life? In that same example, this is a guy who's saying, I wanna see godly Christian couples come together and marry. And there's an enemy that is trying to stop and prevent that from happening. You came in tonight, and there is an enemy that is trying to stop and prevent Godly Christian couples from coming together and he's gonna sell you lies. Like that guy doesn't know what he's talking about and sure, we can sleep together but we're married in God's eyes and look, it's not that big of a deal if no one knows our relationship or no one supports it and all of that is a lie from an enemy who doesn't want godly couples to come together. He doesn't want Christian marriages that flourish. He doesn't want generations of babies raised to be discipled where men and women come together and they say, I am gonna live for Jesus in my home with my marriage. I'm gonna honor them. I'm gonna love them before myself and I'm gonna pursue Christ with my spouse, he wants anything but that to happen. And you're gonna leave here tonight, and you're gonna be bombarded with all the different ways that everything that I said is so unpractical, because there's an enemy. And Jesus, like Valentine, wants you to experience the incredible gift of marriage and the covenant of you and that other person who loved Jesus coming together and being a picture to the world of what marriage is about, which is God's unending love for his bride, the church, that he gave his life for, on a cross. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would protect men and women in here who genuinely want to honor you with their dating, their sexuality, their life. I pray that you would form marriages among couples here and those listening in different locations around the country and godly spouses would come together and they wouldn't be perfect people, but they would worship a perfect God and they'd pursue you together. I pray that you would stop relationships that are right now in the room that need to be stopped and need to be broken up, not because you want any more pain in their life, but because you love them and want to prevent pain. I pray that you would heal some of the scars that we carry from pain, sexual pain, sexual experience and you would take our lives and use them for your glory. And it wouldn't take getting to the end and all the pain that Samson went through, but you would take us right now and move our hearts towards yours. We would live lives surrendered to you. We worship you now in song, amen.